Hello everyone, welcome to episode 18 of Vigilance for the End Times. Our episode tonight is Temples of the Holy Spirit versus Strongholds of the Religious Spirit. By way of introducing this week's subject and framing it in the proper context, I want to first share something that the Lord gave me a very long time ago. Um, in September, on September 11th, 1993, the Lord gave me a very direct personal word. And I still have it written in one of my prayer journals from back at that time. And he said, I have broken the yokes of men and tradition off of you. I have removed the burden from your shoulder and set you free to walk in my spirit. Just as I have broken the yoke off of you, so you will do for others. You will clearly see and discern the yokes of men and speak against them and destroy them and lead many into liberty. And I would have to say in looking back over my life that the religious spirit is the one singular demonic stronghold I have had the most direct confrontation and battles with, almost all of them being within the religious church structure. I don't believe that Western churchianity will ever admit that, for the most part, its insistence on being able to grasp everything concerning the Word of God and the Spirit of God with their finite human mind is a direct result of the fall and Satan's offer to make us wise apart from God. After well over some 30-odd years of battling with religious spirits in the minds of professing Christians in the West— I am convinced that the nature of this battle is completely spiritual and finds its source in that one event. Adam and Eve were seduced. I know it says in the word that Eve was the one who was seduced, not Adam, but the bottom line is both of them were extended the offer by Satan of attaining godlike wisdom apart from God himself. You will be wise like God. And that has been part of our fallen nature ever since. That is not a subject I've ever heard spoken on before, but the last few days as I've meditated on this and really deeply pondered why this is such a pervasive and deeply rooted problem, this is the revelation that I feel the Lord gave me tonight on this subject. There has never been an instance where someone who is born again suddenly has a completely spiritual, renewed mind. Renewing the mind is a process. And apart from the direct activity of the Holy Spirit, renewing one's mind is going to be a really really challenging prospect. Again, without the baptism and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you are left with leaning on your own intellect to process and grasp the Word of God. And since your mind is not renewed yet, you are using your unrenewed, fallen mind to try to grasp spiritual truth. 
and your fallen, unrenewed mind is the ground upon which religious spirits build their strongholds. That is why someone who is a professing Christian is still far from thinking like a new creation. Um, and in all honesty, the greatest source of heaviness that I have been feeling for quite a while now and the the intense awareness that I carry is that the Holy Spirit's voice is being heard by so very, very few. Without any exaggeration whatsoever, I feel the Holy Spirit's agony because of the religious multitudes who do not want to hear His voice, who don't think it's necessary... And I actually feel his heartache over those who are choosing their own doom. This is a spiritual burden that I feel and carry every single day and night for as long as I can remember. It is aware, it's an awareness that never, ever shuts off. And much of the time, I feel very overwhelmed by it because in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm only one guy, what can I change? Um... But I had an online confrontation. Confrontation. Uh, it was a it was a combination conversation and confrontation uh, the other night, and I literally felt so heavy from it for two or three days, um, and it just grew more and more intense as time went on. Um, what happened was someone responded to a post that I had made a comment on a couple of weeks back. It wasn't my post. It was on somebody else's page. And I just made a comment that had to do with, uh, walking in the spirit and deliverance and everything like that. And so this individual whom I've never met before saw my comment and, um, he made it quite clear that he was not of that persuasion, but then he messaged me and said he had some honest questions, but again, he made it very clear he wasn't going to change from his current religious mindset, so um, I shared with him the link to the podcast and let him know that he could listen to those, that'll answer his questions, Uh, and he bluntly said he wasn't going to listen to them, so (laughs) I... um, I reached out one time to share with him some of what I've said on the podcast, and especially with uh, a view to sharing some some testimonies um, about things that God has done in the past or that I've seen the Lord do. Didn't seem to move him. And I, I woke up yesterday morning with just still a really intense heaviness um, that stayed with me my, the whole day. And even Asha, you know, my daughter, she said to me at one point, uh, in the morning, you know, daddy is something wrong. And I briefly explained it to her, but, um, and just to clarify, this was not a simple matter of feeling discouraged or down. It was a burden in the spirit that I simply did not know how to resolve. And I know that some of you, whom the Lord has used in intercession will understand this. 
many times when encountering a situation of a heavy spiritual nature, it is something that you will have to carry within yourself until the Holy Spirit brings a solution or an answer to light. And sometimes you're just simply to intercede and pray in the Spirit until the burden lifts and you know the Holy Spirit has taken care of it. Well, I spent the last two or three days just dialoguing with the Lord on this issue and that resulted in the content of our our podcast that I'm doing right now. Um, I've spent time this week just walking and praying in our home and interceding and I believe it was just last night or the night before I was looking out the kitchen window at the uh, lights on the highway and as I was looking out the window the Holy Spirit hit me with a thought that just made the hair on my arm stand up. I felt the power of God so strong Um, The thought that came to me from the Holy Spirit was that the westernized religious system that is outwardly calling itself the church is potentially our greatest mission field. And I mean ours, meaning those of us who are walking in the Spirit and, and know the things of God. There are multitudes of professing believers engaged in all the religious machinery waiting to be set free from the shackles of religious bondage and religious blindness. And they need our intercession. They need our spirit-empowered ministry to them, even though for the most part, they don't even know that. And I make that statement based on over 43 years of personal firsthand experience. The scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I can honestly say without exception, I have never met a religious professing believer without the Holy Spirit who had real spiritual liberty in their life. In fact, what led me to being open to the baptism of the Holy Spirit was encountering believers who happened to walk into where I was working and they exuded tremendous liberty and joy in the spirit. I rem- I encountered them as customers on a job where I worked uh, in 1982, and just the radiance in their faces told me that they had something I desperately needed but didn't have, and I was a Christian. Um, it was It was the religious, joyless, ritualistic professing Christians at the huge First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, who tried to dissuade me from making such a decision and even being around those people. Um, And most of that (laughs) came from the pastor and his wife. They actually tried to warn me frantically on many occasions to avoid those people because they're dangerous. And my thought was, I'd rather avoid you people because you just make me more depressed. In fact, it was the spirit of religious bondage and deadness that filled the huge First Baptist mausoleum in downtown Jacksonville that made my own spiritual condition worse. And I only felt relief when I stayed away from it. So I decided in November 1982 to make a clean break 
from the dead religious system that was actually only serving to worsen and intensify my own spiritual battles. In my heart, I felt that I would only find spiritual freedom if I broke away from that system and gave God the time to work things out in my circumstances, which he did by bringing the Spirit-filled customers into my workplace a couple of months later. Now, I think there's a real lesson for us to learn here, folks. Religious spirits only serve to exacerbate the spiritual battles professing believers are already going through. And after 38 years as a Spirit-filled believer, with five years before that, being a believer without the Holy Spirit, I can speak very clearly and pointedly to both sides, abundantly so. And I can tell you from very personal experience that the only antidote to religious spirits is a spirit of humility. The only way out of bondage to religious spirits is to humble oneself completely and totally, beginning with humbling your mind to God Almighty himself. And that is the most formidable battle to be won when setting someone free from this bondage because it's impossible to set someone free who does not believe they're in bondage to begin with. Um, in over 39 years of experience in dealing up close and personal with religious spirits, it's very interesting for me to note that in all of the years on Facebook where I have encountered hundreds of individuals who are against the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, etc., it's very revealing to note that in all of these individuals, they responded in exactly the same way in every instance. That is because the religious spirit is very set in how it operates. Here's some spiritual warfare 101, folks. The religious spirit is very set in how it operates. It fights to justify and defend its dogma because dogma is its life. Dogma is all that matters to it. That is precisely why, even though Jesus did such good in healing people in the synagogues and casting demons out of people in the synagogues and setting them free, the Pharisees responded only with murder and anger in their hearts. They didn't care that people were being set free and ministered to. What they were enraged about was that their dogma was being challenged and offended. They did not care about anyone's quality of life improving. Their dogma was all that mattered. It was their end-all and be-all. This is what makes the religious spirit so evil and so difficult to break as a stronghold. Someone with a religious spirit has a very determined wild dog inside them that will bite the hand that reaches out to save them. They will fight to maintain their set, carved in stone mindset. It does not matter what the real facts are. It doesn't matter if you parade a hundred people in front of them who have been healed and delivered and set free. It doesn't register with them at all. 
That is precisely why Jesus said to them, You cross the ocean to make one convert and then make them twice the son of hell that you are. Spend some time reading the gospel, folks. Gospels, folks. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm really pleading with you. Spend some time after you're done listening to this, reading through the gospels. The tactics of religious spirits, as revealed in the gospel and the New Testament, are many, and I'm going to give you some of them in no particular order. Religious spirits seek to draw you into an argument of their own design. Their intent in doing so is to further justify themselves and to justify their rebellion and lovelessness. Look at all the times they tried to trap Jesus in their manufactured arguments. They esteem the things of men higher than the things of God. They esteem the praise of man more than the praise of God. They value outward religious appearance and conformity more than inward spiritual reality. They insist that their rules, regulations, and traditions be obeyed as though they were from God himself. They equate adherence to and obedience to their rules as being equivalent to obedience to God himself. They detest any spirituality that requires a true humbling of their minds. Their intellect is their God, and their warped grasp of Scripture is the badge they wear. They detest spiritual liberty because they so highly prize religious control and conformity. In Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul equates the religious spirit with witchcraft. Its goal is to pull believers out of operating in the spirit and back into operating in the strength of their own flesh. Now, the reason the religious spirit is so evil and hateful is because it esteems everything that the sacrifice of Jesus was meant to destroy. Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we could have a new heart of flesh under the control and direction of the Holy Spirit. But by satanic contrast, the religious spirit wants control over you based on outward conformity to rules and regulations and demands that it makes equal to God himself. Sound like someone we've heard of before? I will be like the Most High, said the boastful, proud voice of you-know-who. The religious spirit, at its most devious and vile, promises a form of godliness while allowing self to remain in control and on the throne of your heart, refusing to be submitted to God and His Spirit. That makes the religious spirit the most hateful, evil, wicked spirit of all of them. And just look at the Gospels again, folks. Which demonic spirit was it that tried to kill Jesus over and over, slander him, and finally rallied for his crucifixion? That is the nature of the religious spirit. And brothers and sisters, you must keep that in mind every single time. You are dealing with it in operation within someone else. You are dealing with a very deceptive, 
manipulative satanic stronghold that will resist any and every attempt to get it to humble itself to the word of God. It will fight to remain in control of the person in whom it operates. Now, if there's a positive side to this at all, it is spiritual 101 with a textbook example of how a demonic stronghold operates, all of its qualities, what it will take to dislodge it. In this case, nothing but intercession, laser-sharp spiritual discernment, and above all else, staying in the spirit while you are dealing with the person under the religious spirit's influence and having prayer back up so that the scales may be removed from this person's eyes and that they may, as it says in the word, recover themselves out of the snare of the devil by whom they've been taken captive at his will. What do I mean by captive at his will? Pride. (laughs) Pride is Satan's open door to moving in someone's life. And religious pride is a door flung wide open. A textbook example of deliverance from the Spirit would be Saul of Tarsus. And it took Jesus knocking him off his horse to deliver him. So do not let someone under that Spirit cause you to waste hours and hours debating with them because that's what that Spirit feeds on and it will wear you out. You must treat it first and foremost as a demonic spirit and try to help that person understand that this is what they are dealing with, as you can. One key scripture to keep in mind when dealing with this spirit is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In fact, I would suggest meditating and memorizing on some key scriptures dealing with how God deals with the proud and what it takes for God to move in someone's life under this influence. I believe it's in uh, First or Second Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil's not going to flee from anyone who is operating in pride as he does, which means without humility, they will not find any deliverance. Another scripture in James, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. This is a very key scripture to meditate on, understanding that it is in the soul realm that this stronghold is lodged. Paul dealt with religious spirits left and right. Reading through First and Second Corinthians will give you a huge education on how Paul faced religious spirits and dealt with them in the spirit. He said in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5, we take into captivity to Christ everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. That is spiritual warfare 101 against religious spirits, folks. 
Another thing to keep in mind that's very vital when dealing with religious spirits is that Jesus equates it to murder. Uh, so many times he talked to, he, he spoke in reference to the Pharisees, said they were of their father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. And remember all the way back in Genesis, how Cain killed Abel over his offering. So many times those with a strongly entrenched religious spirit actually manifest hatred for anyone who does not agree with them or anyone who tries to put forth a different point of view. That is the spirit of murder, which is attached to the religious spirit especially when it is heavily entrenched and has already established control over others, such as in a church hierarchy or something similar. Um, This is why it is so important for us to spend much time praying in the Spirit, worshiping and meditating on the Word, because unless your spirit man is strongly built up, In the spirit, don't even waste your time on this. You will not have what it takes. And the religious spirit, again, if you want to see how evil, mean, and determined it is, just read the Gospels. And you will understand it is nothing for you to mess around with apart from being solidly in the spirit, prayed up, and fasted up. Jesus had to be anointed by the Holy Spirit before he ever ever confronted these spirits head on. And that alone should be hugely indicative of the demonic power of these spirits. Nowhere in scripture does it indicate that Jesus ever went head to head with the demonized religious leaders of his day until after the Holy Spirit had descended upon him at the River Jordan. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think there's an example in the word where we are shown it's okay to confront the religious spirit in the flesh or in the natural. And by now, I hope we understand the reason why that is so. Again, if you look at the religious spirits operating in the Pharisees and how on every occasion They tried to entrap Jesus with questions and situations devised specifically to attack his ministry. And while they weren't doing that, they were plotting how they could kill him. So this is nothing to mess with. Um, Some verses that I find very helpful in positioning yourself spiritually to deal with the religious spirit and puts it in the light that God sees it in. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Boasting is pride, and pride is a religious stronghold. That was 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 show that the gifts and operations of the Holy Spirit are intertwined with the very existence and operation of the church. Meaning, 
as long as the church exists here on earth, the gifts and functions of the Holy Spirit are an expected part of the life of the church. And this is the primary target of Satan and his hierarchy of religious spirits. The ongoing government of the Holy Spirit within his church is Satan's number one target. And look how well he's done. And really, if you look at where we are now in history, there are only two sources of governmental direction for the church. The ongoing influence, direction, and guidance of the Holy Spirit, or the influence and control of human self-will, which gives way to the religious spirit. The religious spirit is Satan's counterfeit for the government of the Holy Spirit. Folks, there is absolutely no middle ground, no neutral zone, and no gray area. We are either under the guidance of the Holy Spirit or under the influence of self. That is why passages such as Romans 12 are of such primary and central importance to the life of every believer. As Paul said in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, on account of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, and only then, not before, then, after you have renewed your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The fallen mind, even in someone who says they're a believer, their fallen intellect will never be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And therefore, they won't walk in the perfect will of God. There are two classes of believers, according to God's word, those who have the Spirit and those who are without the Spirit. This is a primary and basic reality addressed by the apostles themselves. So therefore, it is not something we are free to disregard or minimize. Now, I know we've covered this very thing in previous messages, but I want to touch on it quickly because it is a pivotal issue that cannot be ignored and it speaks directly to what we are covering in this episode. Um, In Acts chapter 8, Peter and John go to Samaria, where the gospel has been preached with signs and wonders following by Philip, Philip the evangelist. He went to Samaria, preached the gospel of the kingdom, not a church gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, and he did what Jesus said, cast out demons and laid hands on the sick, and this fits the New Testament pattern laid by laid down by Jesus himself, who said, these signs shall follow them that believe. So right away, we see that Jesus' stated pattern for spirit-empowered ministry is foundational in the church. Also foundational to the church was continuing obedience to the words of Jesus Christ, the head of his church, when he said, you will be clothed with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
That was precisely the mission that Peter and John were on when they went to Samaria, laid hands on the new believers to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Something that was so dramatically displayed that Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy that power with money. So, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit on the Samaritan believers was not something that happened quietly in a corner somewhere where they all received the Holy Spirit by faith. No, this was a full-blown manifestation of prophesying and speaking in tongues in such a powerful manner that, again, a sorcerer who had seen demons cast out and people healed, he wanted this. He wanted the ability to do this. And in spite of what religious mindsets dare to think about and minimizing this, I will shout it from the rooftops that this was apostolically enforced and we do not have the right to move the boundary markers that Jesus and the apostles laid down for the church in all generations and in all geographical locations and times. The Apostle Paul also reinforces this when he comes upon some new believers in Acts chapter 19. And in every instance where the believers received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it states they prophesied and spoke in tongues. That was the clear proof given from heaven that these believers have now officially become temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the eternal Godhead. And may God soundly convict and rebuke those who speak against him. In the words of Jesus, those who speak a word against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this lifetime or the next. And it is my prayer that God will strike the Western church with a long overdue holy fear so strong and deep that no one will be able to shake it off or sleep for months. Because we have disdained the things of God, we have spoken so irreverently and mockingly and spitefully against the holiest things of the living God, and we haven't lost a wink of sleep over it. All while judgment is rumbling right at our doorstep. And honestly, at this point, I do not believe that judgment is going to be averted at all. Time is of the essence to get aboard the Ark of the Holy Spirit in total abject humility of heart and submission. The Western Church is completely void of true godly fear, which to me is a very terrifying place to be. I don't fear totalitarian antichrist governments. I fear a Western church void of the fear of God, man. And trying to explain the things of the Spirit to a man without the Spirit is like trying to describe the ocean to a man has spent who has spent his entire life in the desert. Yeah, maybe he read books about the ocean. Maybe he's seen some pictures, but he's never swam in it. He's never felt its salt spray or heard its waves. He might even think it's a foolish thing to try to even make the effort to get to the ocean. But what he doesn't see is that there's only so far you can go in the desert. In the ocean, you can go anywhere. And with far more ease than you can travel in a desert. 
the Apostle Paul made this distinction when he said, The person without the Spirit sees the things of the Spirit only as foolishness. That's 1 Corinthians 2.14. Now notice Paul did not say, The person without Christ. He said very clearly, The person without the Spirit. So, one thing that I spent some time meditating on concerning all of this was when attempting to speak to someone who was without the Spirit, concerning the things of the Spirit, um, I need to try to till the soil a little bit before I start sowing the Word. Because I know I'm going to encounter some rocky ground and some shallow ground, so I've got to try to prep the soil by removing some of the rocks and maybe digging a couple of furrows. I've got to spend some serious time in prayer, praying in the Spirit, asking the Lord to give me the right words to speak. Uh, This individual I mentioned earlier that I encountered on Facebook, I actually spent some time praying the other night. And while I was praying, I had a, a short little flash of a vision of this man on his knees, on the ground, like he had just collapsed in total brokenness, weeping and weeping before God. And so I prayed and thought long and hard on, Lord, do I share that with him or not? Do I just keep it to myself? And I finally decided I'm just going to share that little tidbit with him just to kind of see where he's at. If it pricks his conscience and opens him up, or if it just makes him harder. And, well, (laughs) I'm sorry, um, it made him harder. Uh, He let me know he rejected the notion of anybody having a vision. Well, what that did was that let me know that the ground is still rock hard, and it's not receiving any of the word from me so far, so... It's going to take the jackhammers of God to break his pride. Um, And I tried to, to approach it from the standpoint that, you know, you know the religious mindset's going to be offended at the word of God. And trying to... When you're dealing with someone with a religious spirit, it's it's very difficult because you're trying to feel out the situation. You want to speak something that you think they'll be receptive to. But I was very enlightened by something. I was reading a passage where Jesus began teaching and said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Well, this was the one time when Jesus was teaching when almost everybody who heard what he was saying, their mind, their human natural mind was completely offended. And I believe, I don't have a way to prove it, but I believe that the Holy Spirit led him to state it in such a way because Jesus many times would speak things that would offend the natural carnal mind, things that it would take (coughs) spiritual ears to hear. Um, All these disciples 
decided to stop following him. And Jesus, after saying these things, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, he said to his disciples, will you leave also? And what did Peter say? He said, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Apparently what he said didn't offend them. They might not have understood it, but it didn't drive them away. The Holy Spirit often deals with offense of the natural mind to unlodge someone's religious prejudice or bias. Um, another example, John chapter 1, 45 through 50. One of Jesus' disciples, Philip, he excitedly approaches his brother Nathaniel, saying, Come and see, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And immediately his brother Nathaniel's mindset is prejudiced, and he responds, Can anything good come from Nazareth? The Holy Spirit disarms that stronghold by giving Jesus a vision and a word of knowledge regarding Nathaniel, which he speaks to Nathaniel upon their meeting. The Holy Spirit reveals his intimate personal knowledge of who Nathaniel is as a person. He said, Jesus said to him, Behold, a Galilean in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel was like, When did you meet me? How do you know me? And Jesus said, Behold, while you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Oh my God, Jesus saw me under the fig tree? He had a vision of Nathaniel under the fig tree, and the Holy Spirit showed Jesus the guy's heart. All of a sudden now, Nathaniel's completely open. He says, oh, you're, you're the Messiah. So uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit can give you a word of knowledge, a word of prophecy, or some other through some other spiritual gift that will break the hardness of that person's heart. The scripture where God says, this is not my word like the hammer that breaks the rock. Sometimes the Lord will supernaturally give you a gift of the Holy Spirit that will break the hardness of their heart and suddenly they're open. Their heart is softened and humbled. The pride is broken and they see and they sense and they feel the hand of God wanting to touch them. And now they're open. But that is operating in the spirit, not in the natural. And that is why... We cannot deal with religious strongholds in the flesh or in our own reasoning because then we're just fighting fire with fire, getting into an argument, which results in nothing. Only as we walk in, talk in, and minister in the power and influence of the Holy Spirit do these strongholds become powerless and dislodged. Um... And I'm sorry, I'm just losing my train of thought for a second. Most believers who have not been baptized in the Spirit are very conditioned to think in religious terms. And that's something I have noticed for the last 30-some-odd years. Um, Because that is how their mind works. The things of God have to be compartmentalized somehow. And without the Spirit, they have to resort to religious thinking which is not the same at all as spiritual thinking. In fact, religious thinking is a horrible substitute for spiritual thinking. 
It likes to masquerade as spiritual thinking. It likes to believe that it's spiritual thinking, which just makes things worse. It makes things worse for the person with the religious spirit because they already think they're seeing correctly. Then you come along with your spiritual mindset and expressing it, and they think you're the one that's nuts. That is the power of the religious stronghold because it creates such a powerful blindness in those who are bound by it. The Apostle Paul dealt with the same stronghold, just in different clothes, which makes perfect sense because this religious stronghold has to adapt itself to the culture it's operating in in order to insulate itself from being detected and challenged. He dealt with it in the Galatians when he said, Having begun in the Spirit, will you now be made perfect in the flesh? Now remember, anything that opposes or resists the knowledge of God is a spiritual stronghold, demonic in nature, and is empowered by corresponding principalities and powers that work to make sure that their strongholds are embedded as possible in human culture and in human natural thinking so that they are never ever dealt with directly head on as demonic strongholds. But Paul said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So when attempting to speak with someone about the things of the spirit, someone who is already inoculated against the things of the spirit, you are dealing with a person and you're dealing with the spirits trying to keep that person bound and blind. So you cannot just go into it like you're having a conversation with just another flesh and blood person. You are also dealing with a spirit. You must remember you are walking into the enemy's territory regardless of whether or not that person calls themselves a Christian. In their minds, they are still blinded to the power and life of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, another thing to keep in mind when dealing with these strongholds is that the Spirit's you're dealing with want to keep that person blind to the Holy Spirit because they don't want that person delivered either. In many cases where spiritual strongholds have someone highly resistant to and defensive toward the things of the Holy Spirit, those same strongholds are trying to maintain their beachhead in that person's personality because they've been there for a very long time and they don't want the Holy Spirit as a roommate. Um, I'm speaking a thousand percent from personal experience because it was only after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit that I was able to get deliverance from spirits of fear, anxiety, etc. And this is where, beloved, we come full circle to the understanding that we do not war after the flesh. We do not walk after the flesh. We are delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, But in the entire context of it all, we are in a spiritual realm, not fighting flesh and blood on any level whatsoever. And 
I say that because of this. What we have to understand is that for those who resist the things of the Holy Spirit, the spirits keeping them bound are using that person's own mind against them by using their mind to resist the Holy Spirit, to argue against him and reason against him because they want to keep that person bound no matter what it takes. And if we can arm ourselves with the spiritual understanding that behind those religious strongholds that are designed to keep us from advancing against them, a spiritual battle is raging inside of that individual that we are approaching. Spiritual battles that they've never been able to get the victory over and they know it. If we can allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on that, then they might begin to see that their real enemy is not us, but the entities behind the spiritual battles they've been facing. I was in that exact same place. I knew in 1982, in November, that I was fighting spiritual entities that I had no power over. God had finally brought me to a place where I realized that my battles were not with myself, not with just fear and anxiety, but spirits of fear and anxiety, and that on my own, I had no power to overcome them. But the Lord still had to break my religious pride so that I would be open to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's when my deliverance came. So, this is where I want to segue as quick as I can into the other focus, which is which is on believers as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've only got about 11 minutes left before this thing cuts off, so I'm going to spend some time on this. Now, one thing is that by taking a detailed look at the enemy's counterfeit, the religious spirit, and how it works against God's purposes and against God's people, we have gained tonight a much clearer spiritual perspective on what it means to walk in the spirit and the extremely vital importance of the spiritual realm and the spiritual forces that oppose us. Now, one distinctive feature of the child of God that arms us for spiritual conflict in this realm and dealing with these things is walking in the fear of the Lord. An ongoing attitude of reverence and submission to the Spirit. By stark contrast, someone operating in a religious stronghold is self-willed and presumptuous. But when you contrast the two, it becomes very easy to see what the qualities of a Spirit-led child of God are versus those who are not led by the Spirit and those who oppose the Spirit. And I believe this topic is profoundly relevant and pivotal to the time we find ourselves living in. Uh, Many years ago, I was listening to Derek Prince, and he made a very prophetic declaration regarding the end times. He said that there was going to come a polarization between two opposing spiritual forces, the forces of God and the true church and the forces of Satan. And from where I stand right now, I would say he was speaking precisely by the Spirit. And personally, I do not honestly believe for one moment that there's a more vital subject 
for each of us to spend time studying intensely and meditating on, and that is the subject of walking in the Spirit and what it truly means to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. I believe that the spiritual survival of many is hinging on having an intimate heart understanding of this. And I do want to spend more time focusing on walking in the fear of the Lord as an ongoing attitude of reverence and submission to the Holy Spirit because this was foundational in the life of believers in the book of Acts, and I believe it must become foundational once again. For the vast segment of the religious professing Western church, I don't believe we'll see that happen uh, short of a nationwide catastrophe driving them to their knees. Um, We've had over 20 months of worldwide (laughs) disruption. And I have not yet in 20 months seen or heard any call to fasting and prayer from any segment of the Western church, which just completely, completely shocks me to my core. If anyone, if any group of people should be on their faces crying out to heaven, it should be the people, the professing people of God. But our profession in the West has been lip service, and that's all it's been. And that's what that tells me. There's no heart for God in the West. Not a true, deep, genuine heart. It is all religious machinery moving and lip service. So, when you see that playing out of the Old Testament, usually the next thing you see is judgment. And I believe we are approaching that very rapidly. So, here are some scriptures that I myself have been dwelling on before we run out of time on this program. And then in episode 19, we will continue on the subject of being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 33, 5 and 6. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a storehouse of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. So do we long to see the Lord's righteous judgment on our behalf? Do we want to experience the security that comes from God being our very foundation for life and eternity? Do we long to experience his storehouse of abundant salvation, wisdom, and spiritual knowledge that will strengthen and sustain us? Then the thing we must treasure most is the fear of the Lord, because that is the key to his storehouse. Proverbs 14:26 He who fears the Lord is secure in confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. Isaiah 11 verses 2 through 5 I love this passage and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord 
I believe this verse abundantly speaks for itself as to the benefits of walking in the fear of the Lord. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is to receive the fullness of the Spirit of the Lord who imparts to us in our inner man the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. No longer are we limited to walking in our own finite human reasoning, limited only to the knowledge we can gain through our five senses, but we are now able to receive His counsel, His wisdom, His understanding. We are able to receive His spiritual might and power in spiritual warfare and battle. Psalm 27 Verses 1 and 2, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 28, verse 8, The Lord is their strength, and He is their saving strength of His anointed. Psalm 140, verse 7, O God the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Proverbs 19, 23, Fear of the Lord leads to life, bringing security and protection from harm. And here's a verse most of you have all heard, Psalm 34.10. Those that fear the Lord shall lack no good thing. Um, I know I covered a tremendous amount tonight. And even my head's kind of swimming at this point because I wanted to make sure I read everything that I felt was of supreme importance to all of you in your spiritual walk. And I would be more than happy to email you a copy of the transcript. It's about 21 pages. Um, It was more than that, but I condensed it because I just wanted to give you guys the meat on the bones. I didn't want to chase rabbits like I sometimes do. Uh, So I kept myself on a short leash. Um, But I just pray that everything that I I gave you tonight was a blessing and a help. Uh, I know we are living in some very intense times, folks, and I feel it all the time. And that is largely what I speak from. Uh, My spiritual perception of what is going on in the spirit realm, what's happening to the church, Uh, what the remnant church is dealing with and facing. So I do my very utmost to be in prayer. Um, This actually, this message has been marinating in me for the last several days. I've just been spending a lot of time just walking and praying and since since this past weekend. So uh, God bless every single one of you. Please reach out to me on... Uh, Facebook. If you need to reach out to me by messenger, let me know you'd like a copy of the transcript. I'll email it to you. And um, my email is markgjudy2019 at gmail.com. And we are about uh, one minute away from being cut off. So God bless all of you. I love everyone. Uh, I bless you in Jesus' name. And please let me hear from you soon. God bless.